Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. Now also a weekly segment on Slam Radio's Miami Herald Sports Hour on Sirius XM. I'm Jordan McPherson, joined once again by Andre Fernandez for our big minor league edition episode of Fish Bites. Dre, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, man. This has been a month's work in the making for both of us, you know, scouring this farm system. I feel like, you know, between what I did this summer, last summer for uh, Baseball America, or last fall, actually, and now you, you can't get more well-versed on this and a lot, you know, a lot of excitement, a lot of the prospects down there. But, uh, you know, excited to talk about it because finally, after a year away, it seems like forever, we haven't had baseball at all levels and and this week is a good time for a lot of these guys to finally get back and 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 we got a chance to get to know these some of these new affiliates a little bit and that's all we'll be talking about that so looking forward to it yeah definitely and as you said minor league baseball did not happen in 2020 it's been since late august early september of 2019 since marlins prospects and prospects around baseball had a chance to actually have their season and it resulted, obviously, there were bigger things to deal with with the pandemic going on. But from the standpoint of the Marlins themselves, let's just go with them specifically, and then we can branch out a little bit. The timing of the pandemic from a baseball standpoint really hurt the Marlins when you think about how focused they were on the farm system, how much, how high, how many of their high-level guys were in were supposed to be in double A and triple A. 2020 was supposed to be that year where a lot of their guys make the big jump, get that last bit of tuning up they needed before the big leagues. And then the Marlins just had to pivot very quickly. Yeah. I mean, when you look at it, you know, 20, you know, when they lost 105 games, you, you figure that was rock bottom. So this is a franchise that then at that point was looking to, you know, if not turn the corner completely, but now is the path back up. You know what I mean? Like that was at that point. So a lot of guys that they're expecting to be part of that future were at critical are at critical points still in their development. So suddenly it was just screeching halt for a lot of them. And then you don't get to see that. And then even last year, the draft was shorter. They bring in a lot of good talent there. Max Myers, one of the guys we'll talk about, for example, and you just can't really see him in a game setting like you'd want to to get him in there. I mean, a normal year, you draft him within a few days, weeks, he's, he's there. And then, boom, he's, he's in there pitching somewhere. And you get to at least a couple months of seeing him at the pro level, you know, get that part of it going. And you just weren't able to. The alternate training site, yeah, he's seeing live hitters, sim, sim games, that's nice. But it's not the same thing as testing yourself against that other competition. So, a lot for a lot of these guys, it's so crucial to get that experience going. And at least now they're going to be able to kind of, you know, get the ball rolling again as far as that goes. So it's really good to have it back at all levels. And, you know, for a franchise that, again, you know, they're they're at a crucial kind of, you know, I think midway point maybe ish in the rebuild where you want to see where these guys are right now. And they're got a lot of them are getting to that point where they're either making their pro debut or about to. Very important to have this this development right now. Yeah, and you mentioned Max Meyer and just the ATS. He was one of the fortunate prospects that was able to be at the ATS. I mean, the Marlins, when you only had a 60-player pool and you needed to make sure as many of your guys were big league ready, you can only give so many spots to prospects that are solely focused on development. I mean, there was him, J.J. Bladé was there, Will Bamfield was there, uh, Gerard Encarnacion, Jose Devers. But then when you look at guys who were sort of on that fringe level, like the Connor Scotts, the Cam Meisners, mm. the Peyton Burdicks, the Nassim Nunez's, 
the people who were from the last couple draft cycles who were only only had about a month or so month or two of actual pro baseball experience and then had to basically resort to a month of instructional league in October and other than that just weekly call weekly video calls where you're going over video with your the hitting coach or the pitching coach going yeah try to tweak this try to tweak that and when you don't have that face-to-face interaction because you can't have that face-to-face interaction it yeah. becomes it becomes sort of a tricky spot to try to make sure that you're giving all of these guys the as much as you can but also realizing just the limits that are being put on you at that point yeah i mean it, it was a obviously it was all pitchers and you know a lot of talented arms that they brought in and that applies to you know guys like Kyle Nicholas, Zach McCambly that you know they're probably going to get their start in at high A or they're going to get their start at high A this year but you know you couldn't get that first initial step you're talking about i mean and then you know a lot of cases are different Peyton Burdick is one of your breakout guys that's made a lot of strides in the system but again you want to see him continue that other guys like Connor Scott started slow Will Banfield had a tough year at Clinton but started to look better at, at the at the ATS last year. So you want to see that development go. So again, just a lot of different ways that it's good to see this progress. Dax Fulton is another guy that I'm, I would want to see the first chance I can get. I mean, he was still rehabbing last year coming off the surgery, but this is the time where now it looks like he can finally start to pitch again and start to get some real action going. So it's good to, to get a glimpse of maybe what kind of talent is there. And there's others, like speaking of guys that are coming off injuries, I mean, we haven't seen, feels like we haven't seen Osiris Johnson in like three years. Yeah, it's been a while. So to see, you know, he's another one that, you know, the, the organization still believes in. So it'd be nice to see him come along as well. Yeah. And now to just pan out to <clears throat> the Marlins affiliates as a whole and just the full realignment, restructuring that minor league baseball has gone through. Every team is now down to just their four full season affiliates, triple A, double A, high A and low A. Yeah. Uh, there's no more of those short season class, the short season class, like the Marlins have in the New York Penn league. Yeah, no more Batavia. No yeah. more Batavia where a lot of normally your higher drafted prospects would go to mm-hmm. instead of being at the GCL, the GCL, the rookie leagues, the GCL and the Dominican summer league are still, are still there. But again, now you're going to be seeing a lot of the draft picks going more GCL rather than having that in between mm-hmm. of rookie league and low a, but and with the Marlins affiliate specifically, they a lot of restructuring there. Jacksonville got moved up from double A to triple A. Jupiter got moved down from class A advanced high A to low A. And then in the middle now are two new affiliates that the Marlins have with the Pensacola Blue Wahoos now being their double A affiliate and the Beloit Snappers being their class A advanced affiliate. Uh, Dre, you actually got a chance to go a little bit in depth with, with both of those affiliates. If you want to expand on what you learned about them and just, just the group that that's oversees them as a whole. Well, I learned that I want to be in Pensacola. One of these get, catch one of these games on a Thursday night because it's mullet night. And I just want to see that spectacle for what it is. Cause we know the mullet with the fish, you know, the, the food, but also the haircuts. They're going to be giving out those like fake ones, I guess. Fun Who's fact, able- Fun fact, Max Meyer, who is letting his hair grow out, said he was interested in growing a mullet. So they're going to have to find a way to pan him towards those Thursday starts at home. He is going to be a star up there if he does that. I mean, not just because of his pitching, but I think that's going to take off, you know, in, in Pensacola, that's going to be like the mini version of how Jazz's blue hair took off, you know, down here, I think. But uh, in all seriousness, though, like I do, I, I did get a chance to get to know them a little bit. I mean, that's a, that's a franchise that's been around for a little bit now. 
and created a nice atmosphere out there. I mean, you know, from talking to them, they, they got about 300,000 people up there for a whole season. The last time they were able to have a full season. So, you know, there's a fan base up there with them, but that also talked up. They also were able to tell me a little bit about how tough it was for them to, to cope with what happened in the pandemic, because obviously you're not bringing in anywhere near the revenue. They lost about, you know, 3 million worth, you know, but, but that ownership group led by, you know, Mr. Quinn Studer and um, Jonathan Griffith, you know, the GM over there, they've done a great job. They were able to keep all their people, you know, employed, which is most important. They were able to keep uh, the community interested. They did a lot of cool stuff. I mean, Bubba Watson is part owner of that group. So is Derek Brooks, famous, uh, you know, football player. So, you know, they were able to do a lot of creative stuff. You know, they had like movie nights at the ballpark. They turned it into an Airbnb. They did whatever they could to keep it going. And now you're going to have, you know, they've had a lot of good prospects pass through. They were just affiliated with the Twins the last couple of years. So all those guys like Royce Lewis and a bunch of like good prospects pass through there. So now you're going to have the J.J. Blade and others go through there with the Marlins system. So it's an exciting time for them as they get back on their feet. The interesting one to me a lot was Beloit has ne- has always been kind of like, you know, like the small, they've been the low A, you know, affiliate for a long time. They've never had high a, advanced A, high A baseball until now. And they're getting a new ballpark built, which is going to have like that retro brick foundation look, you know, really nice. So they're, they're generating some excitement up there as we have, you know, again, a lot of the prospects in the Marlins system are going to be going over there to either start, their careers like in like in Nicholas or McCandley's case or others like Will Banfield that are trying, you know, and Connor Scott that are trying to build off what they did last year to get up there. So, I mean, uh, you know, it's a good, good, t- good things to, to see this coming season. And I was, it was cool to kind of like get to know who these new, you know, components in the Marlins system are going to be. And they, and they're excited about it because I think they, they, they're happy to see that this seems like a, like I remember, like like Mr. Studer said that he didn't want this. You know, affiliates change all the time; they bounce around. They want this to be a lasting thing where they can be affiliated with the Marlins for a while, not just one or two years, and then someone else comes along. And it seems like they're starting to to build a good foundation for that. Yeah, that's great. And also, just there has to be a benefit in there: the fact that the Marlins have two affiliates, both that are basically one level apart from each other, that are owned by the same group. Just that. Yeah. That I mean. Two for the price one may not be the right phrase for it, but essentially being able to to get both of them together in terms of just the relationship and that rapport where the Marlins from the player development side and the minor league operation side, having one, having one less person that they may have to interact with that can help with streamlining a lot of their yeah. moving guys up and down. And, and especially because, you know, again, this is the one, Beloit is the one far away one. I mean, obviously everything else was was you know, localized a lot more than it was before. So to have that streamlined communication and, and that good, you know, kind of relationship between them is it, going to help, you know, I think when it comes to just facilitating the way they want their system to look, where they want to deploy certain players, that sort of thing, certain coaches, all, all that, you know, from top to bottom. And, you know, again, just overall, you know, it, it also works where we're talking mostly about the newcomers, but I think, you know, you talk to the existing ones, you know, I know Jacksonville, this is going to be interesting for them because now they get the highest level, you know, competition up there. You and I have both been to Jumbo Shrimp games. We say, you know, they're fun. Their ballpark know, is fantastic. Yeah, exactly. It's a good experience. You know, we, we love Scampy, <laughs> the mascot up there. And 
as far as Jupiter goes, I mean, it sounds uh, on, on the surface like they're going down at a low A, but I know you talk to them and they sound like they're excited about that, that part of it. Yeah, definitely. I'll start with Jupiter first. I got to talk with a general manager, Jamie Toole, about a week ago, and his general consensus was, yes, they moved down the level, but from that logistics standpoint, the fact that Jupiter is also the, where the Marlins do all their spring training stuff, that's where all their complexes are, that's where the facility is, it just makes sense to have those guys stay where they are after they finish mm -hmm. minor league camp and extended spring and to just basically roll over and have that comfortability and that familiarity. And they were also excited about the fact that even though they are at the lower level, the Marlins still have a lot of really good names down there in their lowest full season level. I mean, we're going to go more in depth on them later, but just a few of the guys, Dre's already mentioned Dax Fulton, the lefty they got in the second round in the 2020 draft. He's a guy who has been on my radar since they drafted him, since I had the chance to talk with him a little bit after the draft. Uh, Nassim Nunez, who could arguably become their best defensive middle infielder that they have inside the that they have inside the organization in the farm right now. And mm -hmm. then Victor Mesa Jr., he's going to be a guy who I think is going to surprise a lot. So yeah. the fact that they already have all those guys there, it makes it feel like things are they're still going to be getting to see a lot of the guys and they're gonna get they're gonna get to see them first. And mm -hmm. they're gonna get, basically get to see them, they're gonna get the double dip essentially with the GCL also being in Jupiter. That basically helps they're gonna be able to get keep a lot of that camaraderie for the first couple years of players time inside the organization and then yeah go ahead yeah, yeah no i was just gonna say i think that prepares them better too because i think you saw a lot of times last year or a couple years ago that guys went up to clinton and struggled i mean you know it's it's hard to go up there you know it, it's you know small town far away baseball but not just that not really that more the fact that the weather up there is just it, it it's to play plainly it sucks for the first couple of months for hitters yes, because it, it, you know, it's, it's cold up there. It doesn't really warm up to like June. So that's why you saw, you know, it contributed to a lot of guys, you know, not putting, not being able to, to really hit well up there. And, and especially in the, that early going of their career. So the early going of their careers in a lot of cases, not always, but in a lot of cases is going to be down here now. And then maybe you send them to Beloit once they've got a little more seasoning, a little more time as a pro before they hit the ground and go something up there. So I think that part of it is going to help in some cases. Yeah, and then to fast forward up from the lowest level to the highest level with Jacksonville, uh, I got to talk with uh, owner Ken Babby and executive VP uh, Harold Craw, and they were both beyond ecstatic, and they thought it was finally time for Jacksonville as a city to get that AAA recognition. I mean, their ballpark's right across the street from where the Jacksonville Jaguars play. Mm -hmm. They host UFFSU baseball games once a year, which I've been to three times as a UF alum who covered that team. That was actually all elite wrestling. <laughs> they all elite wrestling next door. <laughs> no, they have a wait, lot of Dre, events. Wait, going Dre, on. you want to say something here? I think you're trying to. <laughs> something here. It's Wednesday night. No, it's not. But anyway, uh, yeah, it's uh, they. But they, you're right. It's a hub for a lot of stuff between the Jaguars. We know the Jaguars are about to take off now with Trevor Lawrence as well. So excitement there for the Jumbo Shrimp, like you said. And I mean, why not have the highest possible level of minor league baseball just to kind of keep that entire atmosphere that they're generating up there. I mean, I mean, who knows? This is probably way down the road, but you know, it, it almost sounds like they want to cultivate enough of a baseball culture to who knows if one day, maybe even put in a bid for a, for a major league team down the road one day, who knows? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the ballpark itself is great. We've seen that they're able to 
get 10,000 there on, on any given weekend before the pandemic hit. Yeah. I mean, and, they were out drawing down here for a little bit yeah. during, the, during the lean years uh, early on, like in, like in 18 and 19, a couple of times. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's a, it's a heck of a little atmosphere and I, and they do a fantastic job running it up there too, just with the, the entertainment value. Yeah, definitely though. They've been fantastic. I was up there a handful of times when they're at the double a level and for them, they have always had that, 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 that ability and that, that's that way to bring out the entertainment side, but they also have been trying to stay true to the baseball portion of it as well, which I mean, minor league, you're going to have all the, all the events, the entertainment, the other things around it, the gimmicky stuff. Yeah. But, but they also realize that Jacksonville appreciates the baseball side of it as well. And they think that being at the triple a level and having some of those, the higher prospects, the, the guys who are going to be on rehab assignments, the, just the guys who, you know, at some point are going to be at the big leagues just adds that extra level of appreciation for it. And they're ready to see how they can basically blend the two as they get through this first full year of triple a. Yeah. And it's always like interesting to see all the approaches there, because even like when I asked the guys in Pensacola and uh, they're like, we, you know, they don't emphasize so much the players because the players in in reality are transitory. They're going to be there a little bit and then they're going to go, but they want to emphasize kind of like that, experience of being a Pensacola, you know, Blue Wahoos fan and coming to the ballpark and making that a tradition. And then, oh yeah, you're going to happen to see the number five ranked prospect in all of baseball there, you know, maybe for a few weeks or a couple months or, you know, whatever it may be. So it's kind of interesting though, the way at that, in the minor league level, the way you promote, you know, a team. And in addition to, you know, like, especially when the roster, there's so much roster turnover all the time, even more so than a major league team. Yeah. And on that note, let's take a quick break and then we can actually dive in roster by roster, affiliate by affiliate with who to, who people should expect at each of the sites and just guys who were, expect, were excited to see. So with that, we'll be right back. All right, everyone, we're back. So now that we've gone through the big picture portion of what to expect with my, the minor league season, let's look at some of these rosters here. And I think it, it feels best to start with Jupiter and work our way up to the people who are going to be closer to the big leagues. So Dre, let's start off with it. Low A, a couple names. Obviously I mentioned a couple of these already that stood out for me from the start with Dax Fulton being the main one, just knowing, wanting to see how he responds as a high school draft pick who had Tommy John after his senior year, knowing that he's has some of the tools, his fastball before he got hurt was in the mid nineties. He has a pretty good curveball. And to see how he can sort of fit into the future of this, basically the second wave of starting pitching that the Marlins are trying to build up here after the group that they already have up there and that group of names that we already know. Yeah, I mean, I think he's one of the biggest names because of the fact that, you know, you look at a kid that is another big arm that they were able to draft, you know, a high velo guy that they're very excited about. Obviously, he's coming off the surgery, so... There's some questions there of durability. You want to make sure that he's okay and can continue to progress, you know, but there's a lot of potential talent, a lefty kid as well, you know, big six, six frame. This is a guy that really, to me, like when I was kind of, you know, when I was doing my homework on him and and talking to scouts about him, the exciting part is you always ask, is a guy going to be a starter? Is he going to be a reliever? Whatever he ends up being, I think he's going to be a high quality that, in other words, like if he is part of, he's either going to be a 
an important future piece of the rotation, or if he does end up on the reliever side, this is going to be a high leverage guy that's going to be very valuable to a team, maybe even a closer down the road with the kind of tools. It's just going to depend on, you know, how much of his pitching arsenal develops beyond just that, that fastball. You know, he has a pretty good, he has a 60 curveball, you know, per MLB pipeline, you know, that's one of his best secondary pitches. So when all that, when that package comes together, we'll find out, you know, just how, what kind of role he ends up evolving into. But I think whichever one he does, I think he's going to do a very good job. And I think, you know, Victor Mesa Jr., you mentioned him too, but, you know, this is a guy who's made a lot of strides. You know, they're still, the Marlins are still hoping that they got their money's worth out of, <laughs> out of the signings of him and his brother. And we know his brother has struggled a lot, even though he's come along a little bit now and still has those defensive tools. But I think Jr. is the one that we really want to see from the left side of the plate, how much that swing comes along, how, how big of a, a big of an improvement he can, of a jump he can take you know, over the next year or so, you know, as he, as he moves forward and guys that are that, you know, Nassim Nunez, we always hear about the great glove. We saw him. I remember in that scrimmage, I think, you know, make some plays and, you know, we got, we know he has the defensive talent, but is he going to be able to hit is the biggest question. And and that's where, you know, there's been some question marks with him. And, and, you know, I go back to Osiris Johnson, we just haven't seen him for a long time. And there's a guy which started out as a shortstop, but does he convert to another position? Does he end up becoming an outfielder? He's a little bit of a bigger guy too. So, you know, he could play one of those spots down the road, but the biggest thing is just getting him playing again, because it just feels like it's just been forever since he's had game experience. Yeah, no, Osiris hasn't played since 2018 in the minor leagues. He was out all of 2019, 2020. Obviously the pandemic happened. He did was at spring training toward the tail end was one of those late inning, late defensive replacements when they start getting the kids in there. Mm. He played a little bit all over the infield. He played some third base. He played a little bit of shortstop. He played some second. So, again, just trying to find somewhere for him. Obviously, the group that they have in Jupiter, Nassim, is going to be the shortstop. So, I wouldn't be surprised if they start Osiris, give him a little bit of time at third base. He was playing a decent amount there. Granted, the Marlins didn't have much third base depth when they were at camp just because it was literally Brian Anderson and, okay, let's find a middle infielder and have him play three innings at third and – Hope we find something here, right. but no, but I'm, I'm excited to see Osiris. He, I'd started on the beat in 2019. So I never really got the chance to see him outside of the couple times that he came in late in spring training games. So he's someone I want to keep my eye on and see how he can do some things moving forward. And then just a couple other quick pictures. Uh, MD Johnson and Chris Mockmo were both guys from the 2019 draft. They were uh, Chris Mockmo was at the GCL. I believe MD Johnson was at Batavia and, from they put up some decent numbers, but again, it was a small sample size. It was more or less a month, a month of a season that they were out there after the draft. I want to see what happens as they try to take their next step. That to me, from the rest of the group that we have down here, those are the other two that I'm going to try to keep my eye, eyes on. Yeah. Uh, Yuri per, Yuri Perez as well. I forgot about that yeah. he's down, down there. Big, he, I mean, tall is, is an understatement. You know, big six nine guy. I had him as one of the sleepers in the system. You know, coming up, he's a guy that you know, still a long ways away, you know, it needs a lot of experience, but you know, the, the physical talents there where if he develops, well, it could be some, it could be an interesting uh, guy to watch over the next couple of years too. Yeah. All right. And then now let's move up to class A advanced, uh, the Beloit snappers. Dre, who catches your eye here? Well, I mean, we, we talked about Connor Scott you know, and everybody's kind of, you know, still, you know, trying to see what's going to end up happening with him, you know, first round pick, you want to see, some value come of that. And I think he's shown some improvement. He was one of those guys that struggled early on in his career at Clinton 
and has come along a little bit. It's hitting the ball better, driving the ball a little bit better in the last couple of times that we've seen him. But again, a guy who's been put like everyone else has been put on pause as far as that goes. So you, I want to see how much he can do in high A this year. But I think Cam Meisner's interesting too because he's one of those guys, you know, college kid, played in the SEC. I think he's kind of slipped a little under the radar when you look at this pack of outfielders that they have. You know, everybody likes talking about Burdick and others and, and this and that. But Cam Meisner, he struggled that last year in college, but he has a lot of the tools and I think he has a lot of potential to really make to really make a jump if it goes well at this level. So he's one to definitely keep an eye on, I think, that for, for me. And, and then, you know, Nicholas and McCambly, just like Dax, I think it's, again, those quality arms that you want that they drafted that you want to see you want to see them start to develop you know no decisions have to be made now but it's guys that down the road what role are they going to fill are they going to be a potential starter you know they're going to be you know they're hoping for a lot of guys that could be future rotation pieces but there's nothing wrong with if one of these guys ends up being a very valuable bullpen piece for them down the road so again high velo guys that you want to see develop you know that as close as possible and especially at the high a level where usually at the high level, it's it's very stacked with good pitching. So let's see how they stack up. Yeah, and I want to just go back to Meisner for a quick second. I feel like, again, the points you made that everyone's looking at, like Burdick's and the et cetera, et cetera. I feel like, yes, Meisner may not have may not have the highest tools among all of them, but I feel like he's the most well-rounded of the group, especially when it comes to the defensive side. I feel like if I had to choose between a Connor Scott, a Peyton Burdick, and a Cam Meisner going – who do you feel most comfortable playing in center field? I feel like Cam Meisner's the choice there out of, out of that trio. Yeah. If I'm just yeah. going to try to simplify it there. And even with Lede, Lede, I feel like he's going to be, we'll talk about him in a little bit, but I feel like he's going to be right field long-term. I mean, in terms of the defensive side of it, it's Meisner is probably my top choice out of the, the depths of riches that the Marlins have out of their outfielder prospects. You know, I, I think when you play – in a conference like the sec in baseball, I mean, I, I think you see a lot of good pitchers and I think that that experience, I'm not, I'm not saying you don't, you need it necessarily. Like I know other guys that come from other conferences sometimes do well, but I think that is a valuable thing because you get all of that. And Meisner had that, you know, again, we know he struggled the, the last year that he was there at Missouri, but he saw all of them, you know, he saw those quality arms there. And that, that is, I'm telling you, like at the college level, when you're facing the, you know, among the nation's best, you know, pitchers and teams, I just think that that's valuable experience and that's going to help them in the long run. Yeah, definitely. And then the touch on a couple other guys, Will Banfield, we obviously need to keep eyes on him. He's the only catcher prospect they have in the top 30. Mm-hmm. He's in what should be a pretty pivotal year for him. I mean, we know what he can do defensively. He caught 46% base stealers in 2019 when he was in Clinton. He knows the defense side of the game. He's a pretty good with building the relationship with the pitchers and making that good and having that solid part in the battery. And the Marlins have said that they feel like he's gonna, he's gonna show some, he's gonna show some things at the plate this year. They saw, they felt like they saw a lot of improvement from him offensively at the ATS and at instructs. And they feel like they can see the turn coming, which again, he's 21 years old. So that the first couple of years when you're coming in as a 19 year old, 20 year old. Yeah. That makes sense that especially as you get into the full season, that things are going to struggle, especially at a position like catcher where it is defense first. Right. You can turn that around and show just some steady production. I don't need to see him hitting 350 and 350 and 30 bombs. I just need to see him showing that he can take good at bats. He can 
put the barrel on the ball. He can find ways to get on base. And if he can do that on top of what we've seen from him so far with the defense, if that can continue to grow, I feel like they, they'll feel confident with him as their potential catcher of the future, which, again, that's a position they're going to have to start paying attention to after the end of this year, potentially. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. I mean, we look at the catcher position in general. You either have guys that are, like, defense first, like you said, or you might have guys that are offensive, you know, catchers too, but you rarely get the both. You know, not everyone's JT Real Muto. Not everyone's, you know, even like Wilson Contreras, that type. It's very rare. But I think what we need to see is, is is Will's is Will's bad enough where would he project as an everyday catcher in the major leagues, you know, or, yeah. or like a five-day-a-week catcher, let's say. You know, is it that or eventually is he a backup catcher in the major leagues? Because, the you know, the Marlins need to know because, like you said, there's not – it's really shallow when it comes to catching depth in the system right now. And, you know, we're going to see if, if Will's back comes along enough because the defensive tools look like they're enough for him to be there. You know, he's also been praised a lot as he meant to works well with the pitchers, you know, and so it's not just the arm. So all those qualities are good, but, you know, can it be enough where it's at least a, it's at least an adequate enough major league level bat, where he can be a starter in this league. You know, that's something that, you know, won't, we won't know this answer by the end of this minor league season, but, you know, we'd like to see, you'd like to see if he could take some strides toward that. Definitely. And then one other name that we have to mention, just because he is here, Griffin Conine, the son of a very famous former Marlin, Mr. Yep, Marlin. Mr. Mar- if, Mr. Marlin. Have I to make that like, clear. Oh, former Mar- Mr. Marlin, yeah. come on. If we have to make that any more clear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Griffin Conine, he's listed, I believe he's in the teens in the Marlins Marlins rankings. Uh, yeah, he's 18th overall in the system. Left-handed hitter, they got him in at the trade deadline for Jonathan VR. Uh, career 266 hitter, 29 home runs, 97 ribbies in 137 games. Again, it's he's going into high A. He was never he was in class A before that. So it'll be again just another another outfielder just to continue on with this conversation. Just mm. Let's see how much the family tie helps with what he's going to be able to do here. Yeah. And again, a guy, you know, a lot of power. We saw, you know, he showed that, you know, in the past where when he was with with Toronto. But, you know, again, the approach too. You want to see him, you know, cut down on that strikeout rate, approach the ball better and hit to all fields too, because that was one uh, scouting report on him was that he pulled a lot, you know, so you want to see all those things progress at the plate as well. He's another one that's like, it's been, he's, pause too i mean you think by now he'd be a little more advanced in his progression through the minors and and a lot of it is because of the pandemic you know putting a halt to everything so you want to see him you know go there and get started and then kind of you know progress from there pretty quickly you know for for his age right now where he's at all right and now let's move up to double a and drag i'll be honest with you i don't think there's anyone here we need to talk about Nah, i think uh i think we said enough about pensacola we just got to go to mullet night well, you forget about everything else. I mean, that's all you need to worry about. Yeah. Yeah. No, there aren't, I mean, a couple prospects that are the last yeah. two first round picks. I mean, There's we can move decent guys in the outfield. They, yeah. they, they run around, they can make some catches, you know, sometimes. No, no, it, it's, it's pretty good. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a pretty decent outfield. It's, it's, it's probably one of the most talked about. If you talk about the three guys there that are, that are going to start, three of the most talked about prospects in the system for one reason or another. I mean, starting obviously with Blade, we mentioned, you know, Burdick, the breakout guy is like the fan favorite, 
as well. But uh, you know, let me let me throw something here to to our boy Gerard Encarnacion because one of the best power bats in the Marlins system, and you're going to have him playing in that outfield every day or more mostly every day and showing off that arm. He's got a cannon out there too. So that's going to be good to see his development come along. The one thing I will be interested to see with that outfield, because remember Victor, Victor, Victor Mesa is also out there. They only have four infielders in Lazaro Alonzo, Connor justice, Riley Mahan, Dimitri Sims. We've seen Gerard play some first base at spring training. Could I'm, I'm, this is assuming right here, and we all know what happens when you assume, but I would not be surprised to see Encarnacion getting some regular time at first base, especially yeah. since they're going to need to start making some judgment calls on Victor Victor. No, and that's a, and that's a good point. I think I de- you definitely will see it because if not, we wouldn't have seen it happen in spring training the way, the way it was. And, you know, it was a little raw. It was a little bad at times, you know, because it's obviously it's a new position for him. But, yeah, maybe, who knows, maybe even – I don't want to say a 50-50 split per se, but I think it's a it, it's not just once in a while. I think they will try to develop him there just in case. I mean, look, down the road, he's another guy, and I know I'm probably getting way ahead maybe, but he's another guy you wish the DH would get, you know, unified by yes. by the time he's ready to come up to the majors because he's perfect for that role too. Yeah, definitely. And then I mean, we have JJ, we also have Max Meyer who making his professional debut in double a as the double a team's opening day starter he's going to be on a pitch limit well we got to talk with the coaching staff over at double at pensacola on sunday and pitching coach tim norton said at least to start they're going to try to keep him to between five pitches or five innings or 75 pitches Mm. and once a week it's on yeah and once a week which also plays into the way that the minor league season is constructed uh, mm. All four of the full season affiliates are playing six game series. It's Tuesday through Sunday with Monday's universal off day. Yeah. So it's looking like uh, Pensacola, their plan is as of right now, a five man rotation with a rotate with a bullpen esque day on Sunday. At least that's how they're going to do it through the first turn and then figure things out. But Max Meyer, it's going to be, he's going to get to make his first start right away. So we're going to get to make a lot of judgment. We're going to make a lot of early assessments right away with him. Yeah, we know Monday is the bus day in the mm-hmm. minors. That's for sure. That's the day. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, I I wish I could be there to see it, you know. But I'd like to see it at some point when since they do get to Pensacola, because we know they're starting on the road. Because again, this is one of the we were talking about it before. The fastball, the slider, that's just the tip of the iceberg. I think this guy, you know, again could be one of those that you know whatever role he ends up in down the road is going to be quality. He's either going to be. I mean, I think he's going to end up being a rotation piece down the road, but. Don't put aside that if he does go the bullpen route eventually, it's going to be very quality with if that pitch arsenal really comes along. I mean, that fastball has topped has touched a hundred before. So I mean, a lot of you know, and then you look at you know, overall the changeup is pretty good as well. He's got he's got the goods, man. I think that it's one he's the guy that I think most regret not being able to see right away last year in the minor leagues because of the pandemic, but. You know, the, the wait is finally over. By the time you, you're listening to us uh, ramble on about Max Meyer, he'll probably be getting ready to, to throw some of those pitches up there tomorrow. Yeah, and then a few other guys I'm going to quickly hit on and then give us our weekly making Dre feel old moment. Uh, Will Stu- <laughs> We have Will Stewart and Brandon Lebrand, a couple guys who were great to see that we saw before. And then there are a couple South Florida guys on this roster. 
uh, Christian Ayo, who played a goal over prep, yes. was a one-time Miami Herald small sport baseball Hitter of the player year. of the year. Yeah, or player then, of the year, yeah. And then there's also pitcher Jose Mesa Jr., who pitched at Flanagan. Yes, uh, yeah, the great Jose Mesa, his son, you know, Flanagan guy. Yeah, yeah. We used to say hitter of the year, and then we decided it, it sounds better, more well-rounded to say player of the year. And Christian, yeah, I had lost track. I didn't know – I really honestly had forgotten where he had been. But good to see another, you know, another Miami-Dade kid, you know, get an opportunity with the Marlins. You know, we've seen a, a few of those in recent years, you know, local guys. Obviously, most notable, Mr. Olympian, Eddie Alvarez, but – you know, we'll see where it goes for, for, for Chris and, you know, let, let's see, we're hoping for the best. I mean, yeah, it's definitely is a feel old moment when these are, these are guys that I was handing those awards to on stage, probably what, like 10 years ago at this point. Yeah. Yeah. About that. Maybe a little bit longer, but yeah, probably a little bit longer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Dre. I feel like anyway, week, but okay. I feel like it's a good segue to triple a. <laughs> yeah, please. Okay. So Jacksonville jumbo shrimp, obviously, there are a few pitchers who aren't on the initial roster that we would expect to be on this roster in the next a couple, some within the next couple of days, the, the others, once they're healthy. Uh, so let's just start six of Sanchez, Edward Cabrera are both still rehabbing. So one would assume that they would be in triple a when they're doing their ramping up period before six to hopefully making the jump straight back to the big leagues. And then Edward, getting there and then progressing until they feel like he's ready enough for the show. Uh, mm-hmm. Nick Niter at this point has been, was optioned, but he was with the team on at the alternate training site. So I'm assuming now that they're back, I would assume unless something happens that they bring him back to the active roster, that he's going to go down the triple a as well. But outside of that, they do have three of their top seven prospects in Jacksonville already solidified. Uh, yeah. First baseman, Leywin Diaz, outfielder, Jesus Sanchez, and left-handed pitcher, Braxton Garrick. Three guys who we saw at the big league level last year. And three guys who have promised, but again, probably were rushed up a little bit faster than the team would have hoped for. Just given the circumstances they went through with the outbreak and needing bodies and just needing guys to fill roles that in a normal situation may not need to be may not have needed to have been filled. Yeah. And on that note, I bring up Jose Devers because, you know, speaking of guys that came up quickly, probably maybe a little too quickly, but, yes, him too. but you know, he's come up and look, I mean, he finally got his first hit the other day, but it was a little dribbler to the, to the mound. I mean, you know, he's, he, he still needs a chance to, to, to get that, you know, that level of, of competition, the level of pitching to really get him ready for a major to for some time in the majors, because, you know, I think this kid, you know, we know the frame, he's, he's kind of a skinny guy, but you know, he's fast. He's got a good glove, good fielding instincts. He makes contact well. And I think, you know, he's got a chance to eventually, you know, compete and be that second baseman of the future for this franchise. But, you know, in fairness to him, I think he needs, you know, he probably needs the full season this year or close to it to really get, get his legs under him there. I mean, I mean, this is a guy that really still needs a full season period because he, he dealt with all those injuries before, but you know, the fact that, you know, he came up, he'll take this experience, you know, for, for, you know, for what he can and then build on it hopefully at that level, but going to the pitching. Yeah. I mean, six though, you figure probably at least a month away, you know, he still needs time to continue to rehab. He still hasn't even thrown, you know, his pitch yet really, you know, to get to that. And then the million dollar question is, when is Edward Cabrera finally going to be ready to make a debut? I mean, we've yeah. been waiting a while, you know, he's had a litany of, of issues the last year or so to finally physical issues to get there. 
So you hope that that's behind him and he finally gets up there. And Braxton Garrett, too. I want to see him continue to build on that because that one brief showing last year was not good. But this this spring, though, he looked like, most importantly, he looked like the velo was back. You know, he was he was pitching much better. The arsenal looked a little bit better for him. So continuing to build off of that. But Le- and, and, and I'll finish with Lewin Diaz. Jesus also, you know, we want to see him continue to progress and get to the, the potential talent he's got. But Lewin Diaz, I was going to say, you know, he may be starting at first base quicker than it seems, you know, at the major league level. So this early part of the season is probably like half season that he may have there in AAA is going to be big to, to get him, you know, the timing and everything down at the plate and continue to that experience at first base to, to get him ready for that. Yeah, and then I just want to touch on two other prospects who are in part of the top 30. <laughs> uh, we touched a little bit on Eddie Alvarez, just the story of himself, just the Olympic going from Olympian to, to big leaguer. Uh, he now has a kid who's about to turn a year old, uh, good old Jet, because Eddie, Eddie the Jet Eddie giving the, the kid yeah, name. And then uh, Joe Dunan, he really impressed me this spring training. Not just, again, obviously spring training numbers are spring training numbers, but his approach looked really good. He showed the versatility in the infield, playing second, short, and third. He looked really, he looked really comfortable at third, despite not really playing there that much. And I feel like he could be one of those guys. Again, forty man Ross, the forty man makes it a little bit difficult, but he feels like one of those guys who could be a potential option down the road if things start things start necessitating it. I think I think Joe Dunan put himself back on the radar basically because you know we we saw what he could do a couple a few years ago and then all of a sudden he struggled and and things weren't going well and it's almost like he was fading away in terms of like really being on conscious like on on the map on the you know on their on their radar really to, to see if he was still part of their long-term plans but this spring was huge for him like you know for the reasons you talked about and just for him to continue to be able to progress and now he's on the upswing again and he's going to get that chance at Triple A, you know, to really show it against guys, against older pitchers too, as you always see in Triple A as well. So, you know, a chance to really impress and maybe if all goes well, who knows? Like I said, I mean, we've seen, you know, some some surprising call ups already this season. So why not? Why not give Joe a chance if he continues to to do well? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's going to be fun to watch how all this unfolds, and then again, it all starts up on Tuesday and. We have minor league baseball back, guys. Dre, what's your excitement level like for this? Oh, I, I, I'm telling you, like I, I can't wait till I'm able to to, to get in the car and, and head up the road and and uh, visit some of these sites. It's gonna be a little harder for me to get all the way to Beloit, but I think I'm, I'm definitely circling a Thursday night in Pensacola, like we said, and I do want to get back to seeing a jumbo shrimp game uh, at, at the first possible chance. So they were gonna start with a pit stop at Roger Dean pretty soon. Give, give me some crux. I, I, my crux coffee supply ran out at home. So I definitely have to get back up. Oh, there, so you so. have an extra incentive. I get it. Absolutely. Uh, uh, yeah, mine has run out too. So I need to get <laughs> up there. We need refills up there. Yes. So we go, definitely have to start off with, with with a pit stop at good old Jupiter. Yeah, Our good old friends at Crux Coffee, if you're listening to this, we'll be there quite a bit this season. Big shout out. Yep. So with that, I think that's a great way to close this out. Thanks again for listening to the latest episode of Fish Bites. I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez. Happy minor league baseball season, everyone. 